What's up, everyone, and welcome to Beer Breakdown, where we dig into the stories behind some of our favorite beers with the brewers that brew them. My name's Gary, founder of Hopped LA, and I am stoked to bring to you another episode of this podcast. Today, we are talking to Sam Tierney of Firestone Walker. He heads up the R&D brewery over at the Propagator location in Venice. And it is really interesting hearing his perspective and learning more about his role over at the Propagator location. Um, Firestone Walker is such a legendary brewery um, for... 25 years now putting out some of the best craft beers uh, that you can find. And when you're a brewery of that size and of that age and with that legacy, it can be difficult to play around and experiment with some of the newer technologies and products and styles. And that's really what Sam's mission is at The Propagator. He's playing with a lot of really cool stuff, putting out some really interesting beers. And we're talking about uh, one of their latest releases today. This one is called Psychedelic Arcade. This is a West Coast double IPA. It's got a bunch of hops in it. It's 9%. It's really, it's right up my alley. It's really delicious. So um, as always, this podcast pairs perfectly with the beer itself. So if you do not have this beer, pause the podcast and get a hold of it. Go down to the Propagator in Venice and pick up a four-pack. Head over to their website. I believe you can order it uh, shipped to your house throughout California. But really, just try and get your hands on it. And if it's sold out, just wait for the next Propagator series release. They're putting out um, a bunch of really cool beers on draft at the uh, brew pub itself in Venice, but also putting out cans about once a month. So uh, yeah, get your hands on this stuff. Some really cool beers, really cool conversation with Sam. I feel like I have a better appreciation for Firestone Walker and everything that they do and everything that they do after this conversation. So I hope you guys uh, take away the same things that I did. And Psychedelic Arcade, delicious, delicious beer. Let's get into the podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Hilo Liquor. Hilo is the best bottle shop and beer store in the LA area. They have a location in Culver City, a location in Long Beach, and they're bringing in some of the best beers from around LA, um, outside of LA, throughout Southern California, throughout the country, just Everywhere that good beer is being produced, Hilo is somehow tracking it down and bringing it into their store for you to purchase and enjoy. Uh, can't say enough good things about what Hilo's up to. Their stores are just super cool. Um, yeah, neighborhood, market, upscale, grocery, beer, liquor, wine, all that fun stuff. Whatever you need, you're going to find it at Hilo. And the beer selection is second to none there. Their beer buyer, Tim, puts together such an amazing selection of different beers, different styles. I'm uh, just looking at their Instagram just now with some of the new stuff they got in. Celador, Highland Park, El Segundo, uh, Fremont, Untitled Art, Grim, Bottle Logic. They had Renhouse in a little while ago. They had Great Notion. They had Degard. Um, they had 450 North. Um, so if you're into that 
smoothie sour game. Uh, they really got you covered no matter what type of beer that you're into. Uh, highly recommend them. Plus, on Fridays at their Long Beach location, they do like a special flight uh, where they're usually curating something really interesting and delicious uh, that you can pair up with food trucks and pop-up food vendors that they have at the store um, a lot of the weekend nights. So once again, check out Hilo, Culver City, Long Beach. Go to HiloLiquor.com. Place your order online. They ship. They deliver. Uh, basically, Hilo is your new best friend. So check them out. Hilo, drink well. Well, thanks for joining me today, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you mentioned you just you just came down from picking up coffee. Where were you uh, picking up from? Um, yeah, so there's a ragamuffin coffee roasters up in Oxnard. And um, we had played around a little bit with some of their coffee that they had given us earlier, and I liked it. So we're going to try a, a full batch. And so I was just getting some stuff from them. It's this uh, Ethiopian something mountain, Kaya Mountain or something. So stoked on it. Nice. Are you a coffee drinker, like just straight coffee in your personal life? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely been through the coffee gig thing. Um, yeah, like used to be really into doing all kinds of, you know, like different methods, pour overs and like got into espresso for a little bit too. Uh, but yeah, these days not so much. I've kind of gotten out of that, but I'm still interested in, in interesting coffees for beer. So, yeah, yeah, there's some fun crossover there, and obviously the ingredients play well together. Yeah, cool, man. Uh, well, for anyone that doesn't know, I always kind of start things off this way. Uh, Firestone Walker. I mean, I feel like everybody kind of knows who Firestone Walker is. Celebrating that 25 year milestone right now, just really established, really respected brand. But the propagator specifically, where where you're based out of, uh, tell us a little bit about the the propagator location. Um. So yeah, the propagator's been open for five years now, uh, late 2016, and um, you know I think we're just about onto the fifth anniversary of the first brew down here. The restaurant opened a few months before the brewery got going and then we finally got the brewery moving um and first batch was actually wookie jack and um yeah i was just thinking about that because we just brewed that this week again um and that'll be coming out in cans again next month i'm really excited about that but um but yeah so we opened here you know back in 2016 and it just the the idea was to do um r&d scale stuff um for Firestone since we had never actually had a small brew house at that point. Um, we made it quite a while without, uh, you know, having a little brew house. So, you know, whenever we needed to try out, um, a new concept, we would do a 50 barrel batch on the big brew house. And, you know, that's for better or worse that, you know, that we made that work, but, uh, you know, finally we were like, you know, we could be doing this a little bit more efficiently and we could get more out of it. We could, you know, and, and I think, the time that we decided to do this, you know, which was going out, you know, seven, eight years, um, when we got the ball rolling, that's when we really knew that we needed to, you know, start uh, working on more new things, you know, more new beers. Um, and, you know, cause I think traditionally Firestone didn't have a very big portfolio compared to a lot of other breweries and, um, you know, opening the propagator was kind of step in the direction of saying, Hey, you know, we're going to start working on a lot more new beers and we need a little more capability to work those things out and to experiment. Yeah, and I think you see that play out really nicely. Like the intention of we're going to use this as R&D and then five years later, we have things like 
uh, Luponic Distortion and Mine Haze that have this like really nice rotation of hops and different ingredients and processes. And then I know the, the Propagator series is a thing that I think are essentially beers that are small beers brewed there that are like kind of scaled up and then brought to the big brew house and brought to the masses in a little bit uh, stronger way. And yeah, I mean, you didn't have that stuff five years ago. You had, you know, a lot of the traditional stuff that Firestone was known for. And I think it's really cool to see how, um, yeah, the idea, the execution really kind of takes like a legacy beer brand into, you know, staying relevant and staying exciting. You know, I think that's the biggest thing in today's beer market is just staying exciting. And that's, I think what, what that location allows you to do, at least from my perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Just having the flexibility to pursue new ideas in ways that we couldn't before, you know, it's, I look back now and think like, it's amazing to see what things were like before this, you know? Um, but the, the brewery really has changed. I mean, we have, you know, we've had to adapt with the changing market over the years and, you know, working on more new releases is definitely something that is just what you, you know, what you have to do to keep up now. And I think in order to remain relevant and to keep putting out, you know, the highest quality beer in, you know, flavor profiles that keep up with the way, you know, people's tastes are evolving too, is just something that you've got to keep up on your game. And so, you know, you, you've got to keep exploring and trying new things all the time in order to do that. Yeah. And what's the uh, what is the brewing team makeup look like specifically at the propagators? Is it just you or do you have people helping you out? So there's just two of us. And, um, you know, it, and it's not, you know, it, I think we'll do probably about 700 barrels of beer. Um, and I think, you know, that's about for annual production for a pub. That's actually pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. Um so we have a 10 hectoliter brew house and, um, and then 20 barrel tanks. So we mostly double batch, but we could do, you know, single batches. And, um, it's just myself and Roland Montgomery, who's a assistant brewer here. And, um, you know, he's been on for just over a year now and, um, and yeah, the two of us, um, get everything done from, you know, doing all the, the brewing and all the packaging and, you know, cleaning and keeping things up. And, you know, it's not, it's interesting because it's so small scale for Firestone, you know, um, coming from, you know, I worked for years up at the main brewery before coming down and, um, you know, it's a bit, you get down here and you're like, Oh, there's not much, but you know, but, um, it's a, it's a good opportunity to take care of the beer, you know, from getting the raw materials in to, you know, making sure that that beer is tasting perfect on tap and touching it at every point in the process. So it's definitely a different experience than, you know, how we work on the big team up there where, you know, we're a little more specialized. Yeah. I feel like when you get together with your buddies up in Paso and it's like talking about your days, like you're, you know, you're getting your hands dirty in a, a little bit different way than some of those guys up there. And, um, yeah, it sounds like a pretty sweet gig. I mean, I feel like it's one of those things like in any job, like grass is always greener. Like you're sitting there maybe kind of like unloading grain or whatever. And you're like, damn, I, you know, my buddies up there, they're just kind of like, they got a lot more, you know, equipment and room and space and everything to deal with all this stuff. Uh, but then maybe, you know, they're thinking like, Oh, it'd be nice to kind of like, you know, see a beer through from like start to finish and get like really hands-on in the process. So that's, it's an interesting gig that you got, like you said. So what did that look like? Uh, you know, how did it, how did you get there? Like, take me back to like when you started at Firestone um, and how you got into that space. Yeah. Well, um, it's been just over 10 years now and um, 
you know, looking back at that time, you know, I got hired just out of brewing school pretty much as a brewer and, um, you know, was on the couple different shifts, basically, you know, started on the swing shift and quickly went to night shift. We were already brewing 24 hours a day at that point in 2011. And I think we were shutting down for a little bit on Sundays. Maybe we were taking like one or two nights off. I think, yeah, it was basically, we were taking two nights off at that point, but then we were overnight during the week. And so Mm -hmm. we would run an overnight crew of, of two guys and, um, and so, yeah, that was a, that was quite the learning experience to get into the brewery at that point and really, you know, learn the ropes and it, it, it all happened pretty fast. And then, you know, I was cleaning tanks overnight and bright tanks and getting the filter ready for the next day and then jumping into the brew house and helping out there. And, um, and yeah, it, it was, um, it was a really great experience to really get into the big production scale like that. And then, um, you know, after that, I came back on days and started doing some of the union barrel work and some more bourbon barrel work. Um, and then, um, got on filter for a while. And so I kind of like went around, you know, doing all the, the shift brewing stuff. And then after three years of that, um, I went up to BRQC brewer, which handles yeast management. And, um, so yeah, just doing yeast propagation, yeast harvest, making sure all that stuff was happening and that all the beers had the yeast they needed, um, you know, keeping track of all that stuff. So, you know, a big production brewery yeast is, is definitely one of the key components that, um, you always have to be up on. And so, um, and so that's, you know, one of the key positions there. Um, and then also, you know, got to do a little more work with the bourbon barrels and stuff during that. And, and, um, some of the really small, you know, new projects we were doing, um, before we had this brew house, you know, when we would do small batch stuff. Um, but, um, but yeah, then after that, uh, did that for a few years there. And then I was seller manager for a couple of years after that. And so I was just managing the, the cold side operations, you know, all the fermentation, dry hopping and bringing in new tanks, um, clarification. We got a new center fusion filter during that time too. So um, there are a lot of really great projects. Um, just, you know, being part of a, a dynamic growing brewery for, you know, a, a period of, of pretty big growth was really exciting and it was really fun to be a part of. And I, you know, I, that was a really great experience. Um, and then, yeah. And then basically, um, about two and a half years now, um, slot opened up down here and wanted to make the move down to LA. And so, um, came down and started running the propagator brewery and just kind of, you know, got a renewed focus on, you know, raw materials, uh, you know, more on the malt side, um, you know, being a, a sour guy for a while there, you know, I was really focusing on dry hopping, you know, so I, I got to spend a ton of time focusing on hops and dry hopping. And then, you know, a lot of time working on the mechanical side, you know, getting a center fusion and you filter and, you know, and we were running a flash pasteurizer for barrels and things like that. So we had a lot of new equipment that I really liked, you know, that side, the kind of mechanical technical process of and um, learned a ton and had great experiences there. Um, but getting down to a little smaller scale, I think is, has been good because, you know, you get back in touch a little bit more with the ingredients and, you know, I got to geek out of malt again where I just, you know, <laughs> I kind of like didn't care much about malt for a while there because, you know, I was like, well, you know, I, they make work in the brew house and that's not my department now. So I'm just not going to worry about that. So, you know, coming down here, I had to kind of dive through all the multiplier catalogs and, you know, look at everything and start, you know, thinking, okay, how can we be looking at new ingredients and, and new stuff like that? So, um, so that was really great to get into. Um, and yeah, and just, you know, the last couple of years have been just working on new ideas, new projects and, um, and all, all the new stuff that's coming out of here. That's cool. And, and your last, like, as you were like ending your stint up in Paso, did you have your eye on that? Venice gig did you were you thinking like I'd like to go to something smaller scale or was it just more of like location serendipity of opportunity yeah it it all just kind of worked out for the most part you know um 
You weren't I, like, I I'm it, sick of this. Like I need to, I need something to energize me. It was more just like, you know, transition to the next challenge. Yeah. I mean, you know, I loved how things were going up there and I think, you know, just, it's just kind of how life happened, you know, also some yeah. family influences and some things, um, you know, some interest my wife had to kind of push me in the direction. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I just think it was good timing and I thought, you know, this is a, a great opportunity to do something a little different and, you know, and apply my experience in a different facet for the company. And I think it's worked out really well. When I'm thinking about what you're doing at the propagator, um, you know, like the word innovation kind of comes to mind, like R and D innovation, like pushing the boundary, um, trying new things, you know, maybe breaking the process a little bit, you know, when, when you think about innovation, research and development, you have like best practices on one side, like having to kind of like understand and master those and then innovation on the other side. So like, it's kind of a, a pretty interesting responsibility that you have to like, think outside the box a little bit, um, think a little bit more forward, um, break the process. I feel like as a brewer, you can get really trapped into process, the boxes of process and, you know, consistency, especially at the scale of Firestone up in Paso, like, you know, you can get stuck in process. And so I feel like it takes like a very unique type of mindset, um, as a brewer to go into, you know, that R and D facility into, push it to where it needs to go. So, um, I don't know what, what about you is a good fit for that? Like what, what has put you up to the challenge there? Yeah, I think it's, it's like to approach this well and to do this well, I think you have to be, you know, willing to just look at everything and not be too trapped into kind of the dogma of how you think things need to be done. Um, that, that can be a difficult needle to thread though, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. because I think, you know, we, we have to look at the success that we've had over the years and, you know, what we know makes good beer. And it sometimes it's daunting to kind of stray from that and say, okay, well, should we try this new thing out? Because, you know, I, that maybe works for somebody else, but I don't know if it's going to work for us. And I don't know if it's the right thing to do. Um, just, and that's mostly process. That's mostly looking at, you know, like, just different ways brewers approach all the fundamentals of how they make their wort, you know, what their, you know, how they do their mash, you know, what their pH targets are, what kind of water profiles they use. Um, you know, how are you doing hop additions? You know, what sorts of, you know, especially when it gets into IPAs and hazies and things like that, like there's so many different ways to approach it. And, you know, and I think you've just got to be open to kind of methodically going through and saying, okay, how do I optimize all this? And how do I figure out the best way to get this done? And, um, and looking for new flavor profiles too, I think is part of it is like, you've got to be willing to go out there and say, okay, you know, what's something that we're not currently doing and how do we get there and then, you know, make it happen. Um, but, you know, but it's also, um, you know, I, I guess, and this is maybe coming from, you know, a lot of my production experience, but it's just like consistently getting it done and saying like, you know, if, if you are trying new things, that's great, but you have to be doing it in a way that you're getting something out of it. You're getting good data out of it. Um, you're learning something, you're getting something useful out of it and you're making a good beer because, you know, in the end, um, just being creative and doing new stuff doesn't get you anywhere if, if the end result isn't making a great beer. And I think that's what it really comes down to is, um, is that like, staying steadfast to what we know, you know, the quality standards that we hold. And that's really important. Cause I think like, you know, that's always our kind of our driving, you know, ethos is like that, you know, 
we want to make the highest quality beer that we can. And, um, you know, and you've got to be careful, I think, when it comes to some things, because there's a lot of things out there that can lead you astray. Um, but you've got to be also willing to, you know, go out there and fail sometimes and say, okay, well, that didn't necessarily work, but we had to try it. And part of what we do here is, you know, take some of those chances where it's like, okay, you know, not sure this is going to work, you know, these, this combination of things that we're going to do, but we've got to start somewhere, you know, um, luckily though, there's so much creativity in craft beer these days that there's almost nothing out there that hasn't been done in, in some combination, you know, maybe it hasn't been done the exact way you would do it, but like whenever we're looking at like a new ingredient or something that seems kind of crazy, you can always look and say, well, you know, somebody else is doing that well. So, you know, um, there's, there's hardly any breweries out there now doing things that are like fundamentally different than anybody else. Um, it's just, you know, they, there's so much saturation in the market as far as good ideas. So part of it is just being attentive, you know, and I, I think like, and just, going out there and saying what really interesting stuff is out there that we can be inspired by and then taking it back and imagining it through how we know how to make quality beer. So I think that's really important is just being open and being really inquisitive and, you know, not giving up on that. And is that, does that manifest itself in like other beverage companies, other, you know, food products, or is it just like outside of like, ingestible materials altogether like where do you draw your inspiration from yeah i mean i think we've been you know wine number one that's you know i think also just being up in wine country on the central coast too that's always been a big thing for us and you know doing some wine hybrid beers has been um a fun you know kind of tangent that we've gone on over the years you know here and there um but just kind of the way they approach flavor too and blending and you know that's that's kind of driven us um, for a long time as far as like looking at beers and and thinking you know because a winemaker doesn't look at a wine necessarily out in the vineyard and say well that's my wine you know that's a lot and that's gonna make a wine at some point but you know it could get blended with anything you know and they know the the end result they want to make and I think that sometimes we approach beer a little bit more like that and so we like blending a lot and so we're always using that as a tool to say okay you know, maybe we made this, this new base beer that we really like, but it can become something really great with a little something else added. And sometimes the best way to do that is actually to blend downstream. Um, and I think that that's kind of, you know, I, I don't know as many brewers that kind of take that approach like we do. And that's always been something, um, that we're really into. Um, so definitely the winemaking world is really influential in, in that aspect. Um, at the same time, I definitely get a lot of influence from coffee. Like I was saying, you know, the, you know, just today, um, going and picking up some coffee for a new beer and just, you know, the approach that coffee makers take in, in, uh, the flavors they get, it's, it's a very different beverage, but, um, I don't know. I mean, we were just talking about, you know, making cold brew versus basically, you know, a lot of the times, um, the way we like to add coffee is to basically make cold brew with beer to add, mm -hmm. you know, add the coffee directly to the beer. And, um, and just comparing our methods and seeing like, why necessarily, you know, do you get this different outcome if you do it this way with beer versus this way with your cold brew coffee, which is basically just water, you know, instead of beer. Um, so I don't know, I get, you know, you can get great conversations with, with coffee roasters when it comes to that sort of stuff. Uh, cocktails too, the cocktail world has been really influential and, you know, we, um, we have a whole series of barrel aged beers that we've done that have kind of gone down the road of cocktail beers, um. And, you know, we haven't done as much of that here at the propagator, but, um, but definitely on the, uh, the barrel side, that's been a big influence and, um, you know, and, and a little bit, obviously. And I think it has in, in the whole world too, you know, the Tiki world has been pretty influential and I sure. think a lot of brewers are, you know, looking to there, 
But um, a lot of it's just, you know, is beer tradition, though. You know, I think there's so much to mine in the tradition of beer that, you know, um, you don't necessarily have to look outside of beer. You can just look at, um, at at the various traditions as they exist and then say, you know, how do you combine elements of, you know, mostly, you know, different European traditions with some new stuff, you know. And I think that's what we're always looking for is, is how do you approach you know, maybe our West Coast sensibility or, you know, how we do hops and the new hops that are inspiring us. And how do you maybe, you know, see how that works with um, some of the old world stuff at the same time? Yeah, I think that's um, a lot of what interests me a lot right now is as the further we get from old world and traditional stuff, the more we can kind of like cyclically like go back to it and say, okay, we've gone pretty far here. Like, let's look back at where we started and see how we can, you know, kind of come back and, and borrow from and get inspired by some of that stuff. And um, the limitations of ingredient, of process, of technology back then. And how do we recreate or how do we um, yeah, think outside the box with that kind of um, those environmental um, scenarios in mind in today's modern brew house? I think that kind of stuff, I think, is really fascinating to me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think your the, the DBA is an, is an interesting example of that, uh, even though you guys have been doing that for a while. Um, not that you're changing it, but it's that was an example of like taking that kind of old world style and how do we figure this out for for today's modern age? And uh, it's drinking today better, you know, as good as it was back then, if, if not better. So it's that's a really cool beer to look back to. Um, I think what's interesting, you know, what makes you a really interesting follow on Twitter uh, at Into the Brew, if anyone wants to follow, it, it, it kind of gave me a little bit of a mindset like before we started talking about kind of um, how you approach, you know, the innovation side of things. And um, it seems you know, like you started out homebrewing before going to school. Um, so it seems like you're still kind of like tapped into the homebrew community in a way that I don't see many like commercial brewers still doing. Like, um, I don't know if it's the forums or if you just keep in touch with friends or whatever, but, um, looking at what's happening at the small scale and, um, seeing how that can inspire you or what you can learn from what's happening at the homebrew side. Um, you have, you know, I've seen several tweets of yours that are like, Oh, more over my head and, and homebrew nerdy than I can ever get. Um, I'm just not there, but it's, it's interesting to see where you go there. Like, I mean, you, you're probably not homebrewing at home these days, but what are you getting from those conversations and what are you getting from those, those interactions in the homebrew community today? Yeah. Well, shout out to the Maltos Falcons. Uh, I just did a tasting with those guys on Friday and um, we went through, you know, a different flight of beers that they picked up here, and that was a lot of fun. And just to kind of open up a couple bags of worms with them, um, you know, I think we brought up like low oxygen brewing systems, and and just to see the reactions as soon as that came up was really interesting. Um, just some of the stuff that's polarizing in the homebrew world. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think those kinds of conversations are always great, and I, I love um, talking with homebrewers because, you know, it, in homebrewing, you kind of you have this kind of sense of exploration and wonder that I think you lose when you go to the commercial scale because everything that you're making uh, commercially is, you know, with the intent of saying, you know, someone's got to buy this. And, you know, we don't, 
we do a little bit here that sometimes it's like, well, you know, whatever happens, happens. And I think, you know, and homebrewers, obviously, sometimes the, 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 um, kind of the idea that I might have to dump this five or 10 gallons of beer that I, you know, spent a whole day on. And, you know, maybe it was my, my one day off this week I had, I wanted to homebrew and, you know, and, and then the whole thing's wrong because, you know, I did something too crazy and something like that. So I think there's, you know, obviously you have your own motivations as a homebrewer, not to just make things that you're going to dump down the drain. But, um, but, you know, but yeah, you do have, you know, some freedoms and some, some creativity that comes with that because you don't have the commercial constraints. Um, and I think, you know, so much of when you look back and you know, the influence of craft beer today came from the homebrewing world. I mean, there's always this through line of professional brewing that, you know, we look back to. So, you know, we're, um, the beer we're releasing this weekend, um, is based on a traditional, uh, American Bach recipe from 1909 that, um, was just published in craft beer and brewing magazine, which I found really interesting. And, um, author Jeff Alworth, who, um, is going to be here, um, to talk about his new book, uh, on Sunday. Um, he, um, he helped pick me that out with me and, you know, and that was really fun to do. And so you look back on that and you're saying, well, that's straight from a brewery, you know, 112 years ago. And we're really inspired by what they did. And that's, you know, that's like, that's real American brewing tradition. And, you know, I love looking back into the past like that. And it's interesting because there are so many cool things that brewers did and we lost a lot of that, you know, and I think part of American home brewing was relearning all of that and saying, you know, the, um, the commercial, industry had lost a lot of the traditions that American brewers used to hold on to, um, because just, you know, beer became such a mass produced product. And, um, you know, there were always a few breweries hanging on to some of the old recipes and some of the old things, a few of the old regional breweries. Um, but, you know, homebrewers really resurrected a lot of the traditions that we have today and brought them to the U S you know, traditions that always exist in Europe, maybe, you know, you know, if you look back, you know, how many homebrewers were making Czech style dark lagers for years before it got popular, you know, in commercial breweries. And I think that like, it's fun because that, that style's kind of having a moment right now where I'm seeing mm-hmm. everybody starting to brew them now. And that's, that's awesome. You know, and that was something that I was jazzed up about a few years ago. And I think it was something maybe published on the American Homebrewers Association website, the original first article that I read about that. So, um, you know, yeah, there's just so much energy coming from it. And I think it's just that boundless amount of creativity that you have with everybody doing their own thing. Is it intentional on your part to like stay glued into that community or is it just a personal like passion and interest of yours? Uh, I mean, it's something I try to keep up on definitely, you know, every now and then, um, when I got a little time and I think about it, I, I dive into some of the homebrew forums and see what people are talking about. Cause there's always something crazy that they're doing that, um, you know, I just wouldn't necessarily see. It's not, it's not necessarily reflected in what the other, um, craft brewers around us are doing. Um, maybe they're like, you know, one step ahead. Um, so yeah, it definitely takes getting in touch with it, you know, and then on social media too, you know, there's a couple of great homebrewers that I like to follow, um, that, you know, sometimes I'll talk about what they do, but, um, but yeah, for the most part, it's just, you know, eh, take a look, see what's happening. Um, you know, I still get Zymergy magazine, um, whenever that shows up at the brewery, I'm reading that and, you know, and seeing what the American Homebrew Association saying and, um, yeah, and it's great to look, you see, you know, every year when the, the national homebrew awards are done, um, you know, I'll, I'll see like what were all the winning beers and they'll print their recipes. And it's interesting to see some of the homebrewers approaches to, you know, making IPAs and things like that, where we're so focused on the specifics of how we do it on our system. And then sometimes you'll look at that and you'll be like, Oh, that's an interesting thing that I hadn't really considered. You know, like I remember, um, you know, homebrewers were talking about cool whirlpools, um, which now are pretty standard for making hazy IPAs, cooling down the whirlpool to lower your IBUs and to kind of, you know, increase some of the aromatic oil 
um, retention. And I mean, that was something that, you know, back, I don't know, going back almost 10 years ago, people were talking about and that became pretty standard. So, um, you know, it's just, there's some things like that, that you can easily do on a homebrew system that, you know, when brewers were figuring out how to do that, people had to start building in recirculation loops through the chillers or coming up with different ways of doing it. And so we had to kind of figure that out where it wasn't necessarily something that you could just do. So there's always something fun like that happening, I guess. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, before we get into the beer that uh, we're going to be talking about today, there's one that I was just sipping on that I wanted to ask you about. It's one of my favorites lately. Uh, Welcome to L.A. This beer, it's a, it's labeled a West Coast lager, 5.4%. Yeah, just a really neat beer. And this one started as a small batch like Propagator release, I think, last year, right? Uh, that was actually 2019, summer of 2019 or late spring. I forget when the first batch was. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a beer that we were working on for a long time down here. So tell me about like, you know, when I see this in the small 12 ounce can, it doesn't say propagator on it anymore. This has now been fully scaled up to like full production up in the central coast. So, you know, tell me kind of like how, what is the journey like for a beer like that gets, brought up like that did you know when did you guys know it was going that was going to happen and what kind of changes how what's your involvement in that process along the way so that one's a little bit unique um most of the beers you know a a lot of the trial beer we do here is made with a firm plan of where it's going to go so we say okay here's a beer that we want to make for next year let's start working that out or you know here's an idea that we agree we want to work on and then you know we're going to see what happens to that and we already kind of know what it's going to turn into and there's you know there's a few other examples of that um but that's a lot of the you know seasonal releases and new beers that we've done have kind of start like that where um Mm. there's already a plan for what it's going to be and we know it's going to be a beer um i was just thinking of our our new cinnamon dolce stout that just came out um just hit the market right now and that was you know one of those beers where we came up with the combination and we were like, that's it. We want cinnamon and vanilla for our new stout. And now let's go trial it and figure out exactly the flavor, you know, profile we want and how we're going to do all that. So, um, that's one way of addressing it basically. And so that's a lot of the trial work we do. Welcome to LA was different because welcome to LA was, um, never, it was just kind of an idea, right? It was, let's do, um, a hoppy lager, kind of, you know, approaching it, like hopping it like an IPA, but making a lower ABV, lighter lager, more like a Pilsner and, um, and just kind of see where that takes us. And, um, and that was part of, uh, you know, it's funny, that's actually, um, Flyjack, our, you know, low kind of calorie, you know, light hazy IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, welcome to LA. I think that first trial batch was actually part of the first trials to figure out what Flyjack was going to be. Oh, interesting. And so, um, then we ended up brewing. So we know we knew we wanted a low ABV hoppy beer and we said, well, maybe it'll be a lager or maybe it'll be an IPA. And then, so we brewed a few different um, versions of that. Um, and you know, it, it ended up being fly Jack. We ended up going the hazy IPA route because that, I think at the time we were like, you know, this is where it's at. This is what we should be pursuing. But the other thread of that turned into welcome to LA as we know it now. And, you know, that was a name that I just came up with. Cause it, I think that was actually the first original batch that I put together when I moved down here. Um, and I don't know, it was just, just one of those kind of names where it was like, Oh, that sounds fun. Let's do it. You know, uh, cranking out uh, trial batches, you know, you can imagine I, I, a lot of brewers can relate to this. Names are difficult. 
Um, it's hard to keep coming up with names and a lot of the good ones are taken and that's just how it goes. And somehow that one wasn't, and we liked it. So, you know, that's just, it's just kind of happenstance. Um, and so we just kept brewing it though. Uh, we liked it. Um, you know, every time we do a new beer and people just kind of connect with it and people go, this was really good. I like this. We should keep pursuing this. So even though it didn't turn into what we wanted to do in the, um, the kind of new session IPA realm, we just kept brewing it because we liked it and we wanted to see where that took us. So, um, we kind of bumped up the ABV a little bit for a while in more like the 6% realm and kind of made it into, you know, we were calling it an IPL and, um, tried different hop combinations, brewed a few different batches, different approaches. And then, um, you know, at that point it just kind of got some energy and people kept saying, you know, we should do, you know, we should make this into a release and scale this up because, you know, they like the name, um, everybody was liking the flavor profile, like the idea of having a hoppy lager in the portfolio. You know, we had done a couple of hoppy lagers before, you know, I was thinking, um, uh, Westside Bevo, which was a collaboration with Beavertown that we did, um, a few years yeah. ago that had been really popular. People like that. And, um, we just kept, you know, we'd brewed a few batches like that and, and it seemed like that was the one. So, um, so yeah, then that the recipe kind of gets crystallized. Um, we did a canner release out of the propagator last fall. So that was the first time we That's packaged welcome of. to LA. Yeah. We did 16 mm-hmm. ounce cans. It was the same label, but it was a, um, a sticker, you know, on a, on a silver can, you know, mm-hmm. like we do all the releases down here. And, um, and that was it. You know, it was a little delayed because of COVID. Initially, we were going to try to launch it on a full scale last year. And then it kind of got pushed out and we decided to just do that small can release here and then knew that we were going to bring it back on a larger scale here. So, yeah. And then once, um, you know, once we decide what we're going to do with a release like that, you know, you have to go through the process of then ramping it up and getting a batch brewed up there on, on the big system. And uh, every recipe we trial here, we know is going to come out a little bit different. You can't brew the exact same recipe on a 10 hectoliter brew house versus a 300 hectoliter brew house and make it work, you know? So, um, so there's always some, you know, some back and forth that goes on. So we did tweak the recipe a little bit and then just decided that, um, that that's what we were going to go with. And so, you know, a couple, a couple hop tweaks, I think we brewed the first batch. Um, and then we're, you know, a little bit unsure about the hop aroma. So slight tweak for the second one, but, um, but pretty much got it there. And, uh, you know, malt profile is super simple for a Pilsner. So that wasn't too difficult just dialing in the alcohol, you know, and the attenuation and all that. So um, I'm really happy with how it came out. Yeah. It's a really cool beer. It's one of my favorites right now. I feel like, uh, West coast lager, hoppy lager, whatever you want to call it. Like, uh, a lot of them tend to go big, like modern, all modern hops that are just big and fruity. And this one still has a little bit of that, like nobleness. I don't know if they're noble hops or anything kind of related to that, but it has a little bit of that kind of like spicy herbal thing as well that I think just brings it all together. It's really, really nice. So, uh, hopefully, uh, people buy this a lot so that you guys keep making it. Cause I don't want this one to go away. Yeah. You know, um, I'm, I'm hoping the Dodgers hang on here. Cause I think we, we got it out in the world just in time, yeah. uh, hopefully to, you know, to ride some of the energy right now. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, like you're saying, you know, it's, it does have a little bit of that noble component and we really like, um, throwing in noble hops earlier in the boil and combining them with the American hops. So that's, what's really going on there. There's, it's kind of a full spectrum actually though. So we have some traditional noble in the boil and that gets you a really nice clean bitterness, but then some of that nice kind of spicy hop flavor also comes through since that's how those hops are best utilized is boiling them. And then, um, 
you know, there's some Mandarina Bavaria in the dry hop too. Mm. And, you know, it's a German hop, but it's a new school German hop that's got a nice citrusy aroma, but it still maintains a little bit of that spirit of the German hop too, uh, a little bit of that spiciness. And so I think that kind of bridges into using, you know, Simcoe and Mosaic. And um, we got some Matuake in there too. So it's kind of a full spectrum, kind of hitting you with some good fruity aspects, some good American character, but also bringing it back to kind of let you know that like, yeah, this is, this is a lager and it's, it's showing a little bit of its, its original DNA. Yeah, it's super cool. I uh, love that. And you you were talking a little bit about the the history behind that beer, uh, brewing it for a little while um, on tap at the Propagator. And that was probably the only way to get it. Maybe you sent some kegs up north, but, um, you know, you had to go to the Venice location usually to get that beer. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about like the propagator experience like well how is it different from going up to you know barrel works or up to paso what what's what's specific to the venice location um that people can expect and also i feel like you know sometimes you know if you're like hey we should go to firestone walker you know people might be like oh i can get firestone walker like around the corner from here like you know it's so easy to find so why do i need to go out there like what's unique about the propagator well, part of it was bringing Firestone down to LA, you know, and so it, it's going to share a lot with what you're going to get. You know, if you visit the Brie up in Paso, you know, the restaurant's going to be similar. Um, the store's going to, you know, it's going to have a lot of the same beer where you're going to be able to get some cool vintage beers you're, you're not going to find anywhere else. Some Bearworks beers going back, you know, we like to keep a good selection of all the vintage and Bearworks stuff. So definitely if you're, if you're into those styles, um, we're going to be the only place that you can get a lot of that, that just, you know, I mean, some of those beers get out into distribution, but a lot of them are brewery only release now, some of the smaller stuff. Um, so definitely, yeah, definitely worth coming over for that. And then, um, you know, but for, as far as, you know, propagator specifically, um, you know, having the brewery here and, you know, that really allows us to, you know, this is that kind of rare opportunity that you're going to get that beer, you know, the day it's kegged, it goes on tap and, you know, we still got it. You can get our beers on tap at the other pubs at Bear Works and in Buellton or sorry, in, uh, in Paso. But, um, you know, it's not going to be quite the same. You're not going to get the same selection for sure. I mean, you'll come, I think usually we have like nine or 10 propagator beers on tap here. Mm. And, um, you know, that's something that you're not going to get at the other spots. So definitely we're focusing on the beers we make here. Um, you know, we, I think we usually have about 35, 36 beers on tap. So, you know, there's going to be plenty, wow. you know, if you're a fan of any of the fireworks stuff, obviously we have all the core stuff, you know, um, we have always a good selection of vintage beers that we rotate through. Um, you know, whenever the new stuff is and we'll throw on older stuff too at times. And then, you know, we like to go through uh, a few different bear works beers. So we always have a few of those on tap. Um, but yeah, but we're focusing on the propagator beers as well. And so we like to keep those around, you know, as long, as long as we can so that if you're coming down, you can really taste for everything we're doing here. Yeah. I think it's pretty special. And I was looking at the tap list the other day and I was like, shit, man, I wish I had like six hours because I could really sit down and do some damage here. There's just taking you from, you know, a lot of barrel stuff that you don't see around here. And then all of that kind of one-off propagator stuff that, um, yeah, you just like, are like, well, that's super cool that they're playing around in with this style or with this ingredient. Um, and I think one of the cool things about Firestone in particular is that the beer, you know, most people already know is world-class, right? It's in a league of its own. Uh, but the kind of pub experience is also awesome too like just really strong hospitality experience uh the food's really good just the whole service environment is really nice and so 
having that here in LA uh, is awesome. I think I personally don't take advantage of it enough. Um, so if, you know, if you're listening to this, you haven't heard it, definitely check out the propagator, just great food, great beer. It's a really cool experience overall. One of the things that I wanted to touch on uh, regard in regards to innovation and R and D is ingredients. Um, I know that you just came back from a trip up to Yakima for harvest. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about what that's all about. Um, but I know the concentration of innovation in the industry tends to like focus in around hops and hop products. Um, but I know it's happening everywhere. So I'd love to hear about like what you're excited about innovation wise uh, for ingredients, whether that's malt, whether that's hops or um, different types of yeast. Like what's anything that you're excited about? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, you, I guess in, you know, in every, there's a little bit in every kind of area that, that yeah. gets us going. Yeah. I mean, hop wise, you know, I think, um, we had a great experience, um, this harvest actually, uh, spending a lot of time with Yakima chief. Um, they took us into their cryo hops facility and I had never been there and I hadn't been able to check that out before. And, um, you know, just seeing how all that's made and, um, and really getting into using some more cryo, I think is something that, um, that we're excited for, for the next year. Um, you know, that we brewed a collaboration beer with them, um, a couple months ago and just that experience of, you know, really working through some of the applications of, of the new cryo and the blends that they're doing too, um, where they're able to target, you know, specific compounds for their flavor impact in the beer and then make hot blends based on that, I think is really cool. Um. So that's something that we're really paying attention to. And, and I think that's one of those things where, yeah, you said, you know, you, you got to get up to harvest and, and really, um, check out, you know, what's actually going on up there. Um, that's the spot, you know, if you want to see how the cryo is made, you got to go. Um, <laughs> and that was great. Um, you know, and I, I just think, yeah, malt wise, I mean, you know, it's, there's such a rich history of malts and, um, you know, it, it's funny how you can get so stuck on, on certain things, but, um, it's good to keep an open mind too. um, you know, with a lot of the, the new stuff coming out, you know, and I, I, I'm luckily get to play around with a little bit of the smaller craft scale malts. Um, but you know, those aren't really feasible for us on the larger scale, which is too bad, but I like what's going on with that. You know, I like that, you know, we can now get California grown barley malted in California. Um, you know, that makes really good beer. And I think that's really cool. And I, I love it when smaller brewers take advantage of that. Um, you know, we're at a large enough scale that, you know, we have to get malt from some of the larger maltsters. Um, and, you know, we have great relationships with um, some of the bigger companies. And, you know, it, it's just like, the you know, obviously the, the quality of malting barley, you know, like up in Alberta, for example, is phenomenal. And there's a region, you know, that's, that's one of the top barley growing regions in the world. And, um, you know, and so we get a lot of great stuff from up there. Um, and, you know, Pacific Northwest as well. Um, you know, like, uh, we love Gambrinus as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, lo lots of great stuff and we're always, you know, looking at whenever you're doing a new product, uh, you know, a new beer's coming out, you're kind of looking at, you know, the, the malts you use and then looking at bringing in different malts. And sometimes, you know, like I was just thinking like how much, um, how much Pilsner malt we use from Gambrinus now, which was something that, you know, we brought in originally when we were developing Firestone Lager and did our first batches down here. And we're looking, you know, for a nice, um, a nice option that we could get, you know, in bulk, um, for our scale. And that turned into a really good malt that we now use in lots of different beers that now sometimes I'm using in IPAs and things like that. 
Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, even going into yeast, um, you know, like I was saying, you know, you've got to be open to new things. Um, you know, we have our Firestone house yeast that is really core to our beers and like, you know, you can't, 805 is not 805 without it. Union Jack's not Union Jack without it. And that's really important, but, you know, bringing in a new yeast when we started developing, you know, hazy IPAs and trialing new yeast down here was a really good experience. And we learned a lot from trying a bunch of new stuff. And I still like to do that sometimes, you know, even, even if we don't think that, you know, I think whatever the conversation approaches, you know, bringing a new yeast strain into the big brewery, everyone just goes, Oh, I, I don't want to deal with that. You know, it's so much work, you know, on a large scale to bring in another strain and work with it normally. You know, I think, um, right now we're handling three yeast full time and, you know, and I think that's enough. I think the, the lab up there, you know, um, you know, Amy who runs the lab is always the first to say, you know, she's like, I don't know about that. You know, I don't know if you want to, if you want to do a new, you know, bring something in differently just because it's, you know, it's another thing that they have to work on. Um, and then, you know, the, the guys that handle the yeast harvesting, you know, aren't, aren't always, uh, loving that, but I still keep trying new stuff when I can, because, you know, you never know what you're going to find. Um, you know, I like, you know, the experiments we've done with Kavikis have been really interesting. Um, you know, those make some really cool beers. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I don't know. I guess every facet, you know, comes along like, and things keep changing. Like, you know, now, like if you're going to do a kettle sour, well, think of how that's evolved over the years. Um, you know, first it was just putting some grain in the kettle and letting the, you know, the wild microbes on the grain sour it. And then obviously that has some issues cause you don't really know what you're getting. Um, but you know, some brewers still do that and they've figured out how to dial in their process to make good beer doing that. Um, you know, and then there was the brewers that use yogurt, um, right. and then you can get lactobacillus from yogurt, which is interesting, but then obviously, you know, there's the vegan concern if you want to make vegan beer and, you know, um, so, you know, then when we first started doing it, we were getting a lactoculture, um, that we would get sent in, you know, a pitch from a lab and that was great. And we absolutely love that. Uh, but then we stopped using that regularly. And so, you know, you go out and look, okay, what are you going to do next? So actually the last thing we tried, which is really interesting, was a freeze-dried lacto that comes in like a powder that you keep in the freezer hmm. and you can inoculate your wort with that. And that makes really great kettle sour beers. So, um, you know, whenever something like that comes across, I, I'm thinking, oh, that's really interesting. Like I can get a freeze-dried pouch of lactobacillus and it stays in my freezer until I need to brew a batch and, and it's good to go. And then it makes this really great kettle sour. Um, so just, you know, looking at new tools like that, you know, keeping up with the suppliers, you know, I just every new email that comes in from a supplier, you kind of got to look through and say, okay, what's new, you know, what's going on. Um, you know, I love, I used to get a lot more visits. It's starting to happen again, but you know, pre COVID we would get so many people rolling through here, pitching me on different stuff. Um, you know, every person that works for a different ingredient company, whether it's malt or hops or, you know, fruits and things like that. Um, so they're starting to come back again. And I love those conversations because you can kind of just see what's out there. And sometimes something just piques your interest. You never know. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, real quick, the the propagator pre-covid you know there was the the objective for the propagator for r&d for bringing firestone down to venice and then covid hits uh basically the the propagator plan is kind of thwarted i mean a lot of breweries plans were were screwed up by that um but what does it look like now? Like what had to change coming out of COVID for the propagator specifically for what you're doing in the brewing program? Um, and what does that mean for the future? Are you like, just how do we get back to where we were or are things changed, you know, for a while and here's our new direction. Well, I think at this point we've kind of, 
made a new equilibrium that we're pretty happy with. Um, yeah, the first big change was, you know, how do we keep making beer? We did all draft beer. We didn't do any canning or bottling mm-hmm. here. And that was hard, you know, for the first you know month or two there, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know how long things would last. So, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty, obviously, and everyone was, you know, having to deal with that and then figure out what their next move was at that point. Um, so for us, it was really about um, figuring out the brewing aspect. And so we started pivoting some other projects. We made some more beer for Barrel Works. Uh, that's another fun facet to what we do here that people might not um, realize is that, so Barrel Works doesn't have a brew house. So all of the... Um, the beer that comes out of Barrel Works either starts in Paso or it starts here. And most of it's Paso. Um, it's just a lot more efficient to brew large batches there. So a lot of the normal base sour beers, that all comes out um, from up there. Um, but, you know, down here, we're able to do some really interesting stuff. So we do some Lambic style beer that we make here and we do the full traditional turbid mash process um, that they do at the Lambic breweries in Belgium. Um, so we did some more of that. Um, you know, a couple other projects that came along um, that we were working on last year, you know, some sour IPA blending projects that we started out on. That was interesting. Um, so the, there was that aspect where we kind of turned up, you know, doing some stuff for Bear Works. Um, and then we decided that we had to can beer, basically, because the only way out of this, the only way to keep brewing, you know, and keep our production up, if we want to keep coming out with these new batches, new ideas, it's, well, let's get them into cans and let's get them out to people because, you know, it, Basically, the the way Firestone is, you know, we're we're a distribution brewery, right? We don't, we can't really viably sell a batch of beer in growlers uh, at the bar, even when we were selling beer to go. It's just not going to happen. Not enough people come here. That's just not how we operate, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we knew right off the bat that we had to pivot to doing some cans. So um, last summer we started doing sixteen ounce cans and getting a mobile canner to come in here. And, um, yeah. And so pretty much we've kept up on a schedule of doing that once a month. And it turned out that, you know, keeping the brewery at full tilt here, we can actually get out a can run a month. So we'll do 200 cases per month now. And, um, and then also have enough draft beer for all three locations. And, um, you know, so we were probably brewing a little bit under capacity before. So this has actually allowed us to kind of keep maxing out the brew house, maxing out what we can do here. And, um, and then also sell beer in cans and kegs. So we're actually doing more than we were pre COVID at this point. Um, so the, the can stuff has been really cool. And, you know, and that was a a big team effort that took a lot of, um, help from marketing and our, um, our direct to consumer retail side. Um, we started, you know, shipping beer last year, like everybody did. Um, and you know, we're shipping, you know, on our web store, you can go, you can buy vintage beers, bear works, beers, you know, merchandise, obviously. Um, so we started doing a lot of that and then we just added this onto the direct shipping. So whenever we launch one of these can releases, you can go on there, you know, order that, order whatever other beers. If you want some barrel works or vintage beers at the same time as they get released, you know, that's it's pretty good to combine those two. And, um, and yeah, and we're just doing that, um, once a month and, um, and that's been great. Um, so it's kind of always a mix. There's always at least one canned beer you can buy here unless it's one that sells out super fast. Um, and then, yeah, obviously we're still doing all the draft stuff too. Um, and then just, you know, kind of from the restaurant side, um, you know, we moved, I think like a lot of people did, we kind of got up on the technology where, um, you know, we're using an app based ordering system now, um, try to, you know, initially just try try to keep, you know, obviously staffing was lower and we wanted to keep contact as low as possible. Um, and we, you know, opened an outdoor space. So now our, what was a former parking lot in between the kind of office side and, and the brewery and the restaurant is now one giant beer garden, which is really great. Um, we just did an Oktoberfest a few weeks ago. That was really great to be able to, to have that all set up outside already and kind of turn it into a German style beer garden. Um, 
so yeah, I think, you know, a lot of positive developments in the end, you know, obviously difficult to go through, but, um, but I think we've hit our stride again and things are going really well. Yeah. I, I feel like it's a, it's a brand new Firestone. Um, and I think it's, it's awesome. I mean, it, I feel like it's kind of what you guys needed, um, not just cause of COVID, but just in terms of the can release thing being such a big driving force and where people's attention is, has gone. And that's changed so much since, since propagator opened up originally that, um, this is just like a great move for even just for that too. So, um, yeah, I mean, we have that can, this latest can here. I'd love to taste through this beer with you and learn a little bit more about what you got going on inside. Right on. Cool. Um, uh, yeah, crack it open. Well, I guess, I guess first you talked about naming. This one's called Psychedelic Arcade. Pretty sweet name. Uh, did you have a hand in this or was this marketing or how did that come about? Yeah, so that um, that actually came from um, outside of brewing. That was um, somebody on our marketing team, um, you know. And so it's fun, you know. Sometimes, like I said, we're stressing, you know, what we're going to name the new beers, and you never know. And um, but sometimes one of these names just comes, and you know, they go, "Hey, I got this great idea," and I was like, "I love it. Let's do it," you know. And then we had the same idea. the The label idea came together pretty soon after that where um, some of us are, you know, have been interested in pinball and like have just kind of gone down that rabbit hole. Um, you know, and I know uh, our brewmaster, Matt Reynoldson, loves pinball and um, has had some pinball machines. And so we thought that would be really fun to um, to get that on the label and kind of do a throwback vintage pinball design for it. Yeah, this is neat. Um, and I know the, uh, the last couple can releases you did have been hazy IPAs, I think. Um, so this one coming in as a West coast double, um, was this intentional? Like, okay, you know, we did a couple hazies, like let's go, you know, into West coast, let's make it a double. Like, was there intention behind this or was this kind of just like all serendipitous to kind of happen this way? Yeah. I think for this beer, I was really focused on wanting to do a West coast double IPA after doing a few hazies, just thinking, you know, it's time, um, we're not doing double Jack again this year. You know, that was, uh, it was really great to bring double Jack back as a seasonal beer last year. And it had a good run. Um, and I think people really enjoyed having double Jack back. And then when we were going to do it again this year, I was thinking, okay, we've got to, you know, get something going and like some release, you know, we can't be, you know, I, I was just thinking about how, uh, how double Jack for us as a year round beer for years, you know, was a big part of the portfolio. And, you know, we really held it down in the West coast, you know, IPA game, um, with that beer. And, you know, I, I just wanted to bring it back and try something a little new. So we kind of came up with a completely new approach for a West coast double IPA, you know, a little more modern, obviously, you know, double Jack is a classic. And I think, um, you know, it, we still love it, but, um, you know, it was a beer that came out, I think, 2009 was when we first did Double Jack. And so, you know, it's it's of that kind of that classic era. Um, and so Psychedelic Arcade is definitely um, a more updated approach. Is Does this beer have roots in any other like Propagator West Coast doubles that you guys that you've been working on over the years? Or is this kind of like something brand new reimagined uh, based upon what you had? You know, we don't actually brew too many West Coast doubles here. I think we've, we've okay. done far more hazy doubles. Um, you know, I look back and there's maybe a handful that we've actually done over the years. It seems like maybe one a year is our average, um, which might seem a little strange um, that we haven't done that many. But, um, 
the last one was called another life and that was very early 2020 i think um and that was one that we did um for the bistro double ipa festival that's kind of like usually the time you know we know if we're gonna brew double ipa get one out there so i think next year we're actually planning on doing a triple ipa for that too Um, so we're gonna hit it hit it extra hard um (laughs) but um but yeah as far as the double goes um you know that was the last one and that was kind of um another life was the first one that we did um with all pilsner malt going for an extra pale profile so double jack was always you know two row and just like a, a pinch of um crystal and so you know, not very much. Like I'm really literally a pinch. Um, you know, it's not that malty of a double IPA, at least, you know, at the time it definitely wasn't compared to right. what else is out there, but it's funny in retrospect, you know, uh, beers have continued to get lighter and lighter on the West coast side. Um, so we thought, you know, um, for that one, let's just go as pale as possible. So that was just, I think, um, another life was just Pilsner malt and some wheat and, um, and yeah, we liked how that came out. And I thought, you know, let's reapproach that for this one. So this is Pilsner malt with a little bit of rye. And the mm. rye was just kind of to switch it up and to add that little extra dimension to it. Um, even though, you know, strong beer with Pilsner malt, you get that intensity of the Pilsner malt at that ABV that you get a really nice flavor from. But I like adding that rye because I think it just has a little bit of kind of structure and roundness that it adds. And some kind of like, you know, people say spice um, when they talk about rye beers and, and it kind of is it's but it's not i don't know i don't think of it as spicy it's more like it's this graininess to it that's just you know it's it's the flavor of rye it's a little more uh it's got a little more going on i guess than just regular right so right cool i'm gonna crack it open give it a pour yeah i mean you see that really light body right off the bat and crystal clear just yeah i mean it's, it's this is a light beer yeah, it, it almost to me um, can look like you're almost brewing like a lighter pale ale or even even a lager or pilsner. Not quite pilsner. Um, I mean, maybe more of a Czech style, you know, something slightly darker. Um, but um, but yeah, you know, um, that's brewed with our Firestone House yeast. So just, you know, our classic English ale strain. And that's really highly flocculent yeast and it helps the beers clear up really well. And then we do fine beers here that we want to be clear. So we'll use a little bit of biofine in that so it's a you know vegan fining and um and yeah i think um you know it's like you get that clarity that focus you get in a west coast ipa where um you know it's not it's not all the body and roundness you get in a hazy and um it's just back to that kind of like sharper hop focus yeah yeah no i mean just bursting out of the glass hop aromas all over the place so, uh, what are we looking at from a hop perspective on this beer? Like, what are you, and what are you trying to achieve with it? So we kind of focused on new school varieties for the most part. Um, it's a lot of galaxy and strata. Mm. And then we supported that, uh, with an earlier dry hop with some mosaic and then a little bit of Simcoe. Um, and so, you know, getting, we like to get in an early dry hop to get a little bit of that kind of biotransformation or just kind of, you know, to smooth out some of the hops that are a little more on the dank side. So I'm a big fan of mosaic as an early dry hop. And I think that helps integrate it really well. If there's still a little bit of fermentation when the mosaic goes on, it kind of, um, it just kind of gets that nice kind of berry and like stone fruit character kind of integrated into the beer without some more of the dankness and the kind of like, um, the other aspect of the mosaic, which you get a little bit more of EVs late. So, you know, we, we use both approaches, but I really like mosaic early um, for that reason. Um, and then coming back again, galaxy stratus and Simcoe. And um, for me, you know, strata, you're getting some of that like kind of sharp tropical and like citrusiness and like kind of pink grapefruit. Um, I mean, strata is really cool. Um, and then obviously galaxy, strata. 
galaxy is like you get that oily ripe fruit ripe tropical fruit um and it's just like yeah so i think the combination works really well and then you know simcoe is um you know i am probably just a sucker for simcoe at this point is when it comes to west coast ipa really is that um i just love that kind of combination of that that piney aspect you get and then also this like kind of slight citrusy and passion fruity thing too um and to me it always just kind of screams classic west coast um and it plays really well with the other hops too you know uh, we use that in the kettle and um in the whirlpool and also a little bit in the dry hop so there's kind of a through line of that simcoe simcoe's beautiful hop to use in the kettle too it's got really nice bitterness um and the flavor comes through really well um and then we added a pinch of idaho seven in the whirlpool too mm. and uh to go along with the simcoe and idaho seven i think brings out kind of just a little bit more of that round fruitiness um i mean t- to me idaho seven is almost yeah it's like this mix of kind of like almost bubble gum um it just like just yeah kind of round sweet fruit um so hopefully that you know all comes across obviously it's a big blend of hops um you know not as many as we use in some other beers we're we're known to to like our hop blends i think that's that's really core of how we approach beers is always you know we've thrown a few varieties together you know every now and then we'll get a couple out with one or two um you know like our, our gen one ipa which is our our only kind of um regular ipa that we brew down here is just citra mosaic and that's a you know that's a great combination and we had to you know do one like that but um but mostly we like to get a few varieties in there because there's just so much you get by layering the different hops together i think yeah i mean this is super cool just from a appearance perspective from an aroma perspective it's decidedly new school west coast ipa what all the kids want right now um and I, what I like about it on the nose is that you are getting a lot of that like really wonderful fruit aromas, the the berry, the tropical, a little bit of that bubble gum. Um, but you do have just like hints of dankness there. You have hints of pine, a little, you know, kind of all these like subtle background aromas that keep that fruitiness from going like too far over the top, uh, which I think is really nice. Yeah, and and part of what brings that fruit together too for us is um, is just our house yeast character, and I think it's really distinctive. You know, if you compare it to um, something like a Cal Ale or American Ale, which gets a little more out of the way with the hops, um, our yeast is is also present, and so some of that fruitiness, some of the kind of like um, bubble gummy or like juicy fruit gum, or um, a little bit of a banana aspect, maybe that kind of integrates into the tropical fruit. Um, you know, that's coming from the East and that's really adding something. And so I think, you know, that's why for us, you know, when we started making mine haze and started doing hazy IPAs and really working those out, bringing in some of the other, um, more, you know, Esther forward English strains were really familiar to us. You know, they're all a little bit different, but, you know, just intuitively we, um, we've always loved the interaction you get with, um, with yeast, with the fermentation character and the hops. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, I'm going to give this baby a try. Yeah, that's really nice. I mean, great balance on this beer, like 9%. Uh, not overly tropical, not overly bitter, but it's got very strong aspects of both. Um, and what I what I like about this beer, and I'm drinking it slightly warmer um, than you probably typically would, but uh, it does like it, it backs up that nine percent, not in a bad way. That's like oh, this is boozy or or anything like that. But you know, a lot of these new school beers, like, you know, they'll be nine, 10 percent and they'll drink like, you know, six or seven. And sometimes you want a beer that like kind of like stands up to what it actually is um, in a way that like that wraps it all up in a really nice way that that makes it really balanced 
And I think that's what this beer does. It's really cool. Yeah, we tried to keep the bitterness in check. Um, you know, that's something that has always been kind of a house thing for us is um, is keeping bitterness a little bit smoother. And I think our yeast strain um, is a big part of that, is that um, it pulls a little more IBU out than some other strains. So you kind of max out, you know, maybe around 70 IBUs. Um, I think this is closer to 60 um, and in a beer like that, that comes off as really round, you know, and we use a pretty soft water profile overall. Um, we use RO water here, so we're stripping down all of our water and then just building back the minerals we want. And uh, for West Coast style beers like this, I'll go a little bit heavier on gypsum, um, you know, which is typical, but we don't go too out of control with it. Um, you know, like some of the brewers really like to burtonize their water out a ton of gypsum. And I think that can make, you know, you know, for the right beer, it's nice and snappy, gives you that really crisp bitterness, but, um, you know, a bit too much can make things harsh, so... I think we we hit a nice balanced level on that. Yeah, this is really nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't. I, I want to like. I I want to say like this is going down really fast, but then you have to remind yourself nine percent. It's only five p.m. You gotta gotta rein it in a little bit, right? Um, yeah, this is this is a cool beer. I like this a lot. Um, how do you, so? What are your thoughts? Like, how do you, how do you think it came out? Um, obviously you like it but like are there, is there anything you would do differently or is anything not that you would do differently but anything that you're excited about iterating on for like future double ipas yeah wow um i mean there's always you know every time we put out a new batch you know part of the the kind of r&d wheels churning in your head is always thinking yeah what what's going to be the next one you know and what are we going to change and it's almost by the time the beer comes out i already know you know and i was already subtly tweaking it actually took three batches of this beer um to get it so it takes two batches for cans we did another batch for draft too and i was already subtly tweaking it as we were brewing it um so by the time you get to cans that's like my final iteration that last batch was like okay i think i nailed it and they're they're very small tweaks i don't even know if anybody's gonna taste the difference you know it's just like (laughs) it's like dialing in stuff like you know um mash ph and like wort ph and um and like you know coming in and saying "Hmm, i think i'm gonna drop the ibu by five on the next one because i think it's like maybe a little high but it ended up pretty much right where i wanted it um so i think we you know we already did some of that tweaking as far as like just yeah basically dialing in the ibus um thinking about the hop additions and the timing um you know the different mosaic we had two different lots of mosaic actually Uh, i used one in the first one and then i felt that the um we have one mosaic that's a little more dank and one mosaic that's a little more berry and uh, i tried the dank one first and i like that one and i think that batch came out really cool but then we switched to the more berry like mosaic and um i think that was really cool too so actually that's the mosaic that's in the cans whereas the um the draft batch got the other mosaic. So just something as simple as that. Um, so it's funny, we actually been comparing um, um, the two side by side and it's like, I, I think, you know, nine out of 10 people that come in here wouldn't notice the difference, but right. if you're told and, you know, and you're an experienced, you know, beer drinker, have a good palate, like you might pick up on that little subtle difference, you know? So those are the kind of things we're always thinking of. Um, just thinking of, yeah, even, even down to one variety of hop and saying like, I think that lot's going to go better in the beer. Or that's going to create the flavor that I want. Um, and yeah, as far as, you know, on, onward to the next double IPA, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe I want to go a little bit more robust on the malt next time. Maybe go back to wheat, um, see what this beer would do without the rye. Cause I think you definitely get a little something there from the rye. It's hard for me to put my finger on, but whenever, um, I have a pale rye beer, I'm always intrigued by it because rye beers tend to be darker and I'm, I'm never really exactly sure why that trend started, but 
most rye IPAs are dark. They're like more of like a reddish color or whatever. And, um, and you know, and just, if you use regular rye malt, um, it's pale, it's not dark. So I, I'm, I'm not sure where that trend started. And, um, the couple pale rye beers I've had have always been really nice. You know, I think look back on, um, Alpine Nelson, mm-hmm. um, you know, has some rye in it. And that was one of the first ones I ever had that really changed my mind there. And I said, Ooh, I don't know what the rye's adding here, but this beer's great. You know, I remember the first time I had that, that was probably 12 years ago now. And right. it just blew my mind. Um, so maybe, <laughs> maybe I've always wanted to kind of recreate that mall bill. And this is the first time we've ever actually done it. That just kind of super pale approach. You know, I think, uh, they probably add a couple more things into it. Um, I think it's maybe not quite this pale, but, um, but yeah, that's kind of where that came from. Yeah, this came but, out you know, really. I think what you said though with the rye adding structure, like I, that keeps coming back into my mind here because there is kind of this like if it was an all pilsner double IPA, I feel like it could be a little bit like one note, um, and the rye kind of gives it this, yeah, this structure. I mean, I think that's the best word to describe it. I think it's it's pretty cool. It's subtle, but it's I think it's yeah. noticeable if you're really trying to figure it out. Yeah, rye has a lot of beta-glucans. It's a really sticky, gummy grain to work with. That's why brewing beers with really high rye content is extremely difficult. And so, you know, just at a small percent, I think this is probably about 7%, 8% of the grain bill. Uh, and that's kind of the typical thing we've done. If you go back, you know, beer like Wookie Jack, that's about the level we're at. And um, in Wookie Jack, I think that's always added a nice element to it. And I've always felt like, yeah, it adds some structure and roundness to the body. Um, and just, yeah, just knowing that the rye itself is just, it's it's a very hearty grain, you know? Um, I think it's got a lot of spirit if, you know, I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but like, you know, <laughs> rye, like rye is like, I'm here. I want to be known, you know? Um, it, it definitely lets you know it's, it's doing something. Um, but yeah, you know, versus wheat, which tends to be a little softer, you know, wheat can also add a nice mouthfeel to beer. Obviously it kind of rounds beers out, adds a softness to them. Um, but also a fullness sometimes. So, you know, I always like playing with a little bit of either one, you know, we tend to, we tend to lean on wheat for the most part, you know, um, our gen one IPA down here has, um, got some unmalted wheat in it and that's been kind of a norm for us. So we've brewed a lot of double IPAs with, um, with unmalted wheat too, and really like what, you know, a touch of that adds. So, um, you know, I'm a sucker for that. Maybe I'll see what this hop combination does with that. And I think what's really cool about this beer is, you know, a, you know, beers like this at 9% that have this kind of like massive hot presence the way that this beer does. Um, I feel like they tend to like drink a lot heavier. They tend to, um, they kind of weigh down a little bit as you go through the beer. And this one stays really light and it stays really bright too. Um, It doesn't saturate your tongue and kind of give you that like really full mouthfeel feeling. Um, yeah. And I think, I think the bitterness, the, the, the restraint on the bitterness uh, has a lot to do with that as well. But yeah, it's just, I, th- I think that that compared to beers that I've had in this kind of vein in these, in this bigger side, like West coast double IPA with a lot of hops, like um, yeah, this is really just light and bright for me. Um, it, like I said, it, makes me want to drink more and more of it it's really good Hmm. yeah i think um you know that kind of lighter style of kind of modern ipa you know big key part of that too is making sure you have a higher attenuation and i think that's kind of um what a lot of people are picking up on now that are a little burned out on hazy ipas is the higher finishing gravities and you know if you're getting beers that are finishing up you know five six plato maybe that realm um 
you know, they, they help round out these delicious, juicy hop flavors and that, that bit of sweetness and that, you know, that body there, um, can really help make some really great flavors, but at the same time, they can be a little bit less drinkable overall, less refreshing. And so it's, it's good to have both options too. I think, you know, as, um, as a brewery that, you know, and I'm not gonna say we weren't the latest to the haze game, um, you know, but we got in there a little bit after, you know, a lot of the other brewers did, you know, there are a few curmudgeon holdouts. I think that, you know, we, you know, we never went out there and said, we're never brewing a hazy, like a few brewers did that maybe have, right. are still holding out or, you know, <laughs> just finally in the last year or two changed their mind. Um, but no, but I think we've embraced both styles and we've really learned a lot from brewing hazy IPAs as far as, you know, balancing bitterness and like, you know, combining new hop, um, you know, new varieties, and new ways basically to get, you know, really bright, really expressive fruit forward aromas. Um, so I, I like taking, you know, what you learn going through that new process and everything and then coming back into, you know, West Coast and saying, you know, how can we reapproach this? And, um, you know, and that's kind of how the evolution was happening all along with West Coast. I think there were a lot of brewers already making beers like this, you know, back when Hazy's really started to take off. Um, and, you know, maybe just as uh, the market's kind of matured a little bit and um, the Hazy game is kind of like, you know, gotten to a saturation point as far as like everybody's going to do it's done it at this point, you know, kind of thing. So we can kind of come back and appreciate West Coast IPAs as a, a different way to attack hops. And you say, you know, it's it's a little drier, it's a little crisper, more refreshing, but you can still deliver a really nice hop aroma and hop flavor. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I have another beer here that I wanted to ask you about. It is the Galaxy single hop from the uh, the craft the the IPA pack, the Crafted by Hops pack that you guys put out. So um, this one is hopped with Galaxy, and uh, tell me a little bit about this series, like the Propagator series specifically. When people see this in the cans, like does that mean it was brewed at like the Propagator, or the idea was conceived there? Like what is that? What does that mean? So, yeah, so those, the 16-ounce cans with the labels, those are all brewed here. And, you know, if you're ever in doubt, it will say, you know, brewed in Los Angeles or brewed in Paso Robles. And so you can always look on the can, and that'll tell you for sure. Um, so those ones will say Paso Robles on them. And, um, and those, yeah, so that series um, started as our single hop IPA series here. So these are all beers that were brewed here as part of the single, um, the single hop series that we do. Uh, okay. And then the ones that we liked and said, okay, that's worth, you know, doing a release of, then they graduate up to the mix packs. Um, so yeah, I think that was one that we did. It was actually a while ago, um, was, uh, was the galaxy one. Um, I think that was before I didn't brew that one, but that was one that we always knew, you know, we always knew with galaxy is from the first time we brewed with it. We said, Hey, this is coming back at some point when we can get enough of this. So this is the first year we were able to get a big enough contract to do a full release of it. And we're really excited about it. And I'm, I'm really jazzed up on the galaxy we got. I think it's really nice. Um, just lots of good, just, you know, saturated, ripe, tropical fruit, a little bit dank, but, um, you know, it's definitely got that, that signature Australian vibe. Um, and um, so, yeah, so the single IPA series we do here, we do either Hazy or West Coast. And that's why um, in some of the mix packs we do in the bottle mix packs, you'll see um, a West Coast single hop. Yeah, I have one right here, the Idaho 7 one. And then I have the Galaxy for the uh, for the can. So the Galaxy is the one in the latest uh, release. Um, have you tried this one? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I mean, 
I'm. What can you say about Galaxy? It's a cool hop. When Galaxy's on, it's it's one of the coolest hops out there. And I think the reason that it took the the world by storm is that you know it's like it's just there's something that it's got. It's it's hard. I, I remember the first trial beer we brewed at Galaxy originally uh, kind of blew everybody's mind. Just that kind of oily, resinousy kind of character that it has to it um, is really cool. Um, and yeah, and uh, but you know, otherwise the base beer is very similar. You know, it's it's our standard kind of hazy base approach, which is essentially um, the same as mine haze. So you can kind of think of it as almost a single hot version of, of that. Interesting. Um, so yeah, is there something about Galaxy that plays really well, like better in a hazy than a West Coast? Like, do you, in your mind, do you think that the application for a single hop IPA is better? For galaxy in hazy form or in or in west coast form um i i think it works well for both mm-hmm. but i think with a hazy the interesting aspect about galaxy is it's super high oil content it's one of the highest oil content hops and the the good thing about hazy ipas and the thing that really makes them unique is that the haze carries some of those oils into the finished beer in a way that a clear ipa doesn't um, because uh, of the polarity of the um, the compounds, and so you have uh, these non polar non polar hop compounds, excuse me, that um, that don't stay in solution as well in traditional clear IPAs. But in a hazy IPA, the way the haze structure works is it'll bind some of those compounds that'll stay into solution. So mm. that's what rounds out more of the mouthfeel and the juiciness and all that to it. And so uh, you get a unique experience with a hazy IPA with Galaxy where you're able to experience that high oil content and like get that real saturation in a way that's difficult to get with a West Coast beer. So beautiful character in a clear beer, um, but a little bit different. And I think, you know, it's, it's almost, uh, it's just, yeah, I think so. Hazy's really cool. And I think more exceptional with a hop like Galaxy. Yeah, it's really good. Um, you mentioned that this, you, you, when you just went up for harvest, um, selecting Galaxy, that this next uh, crop of galaxies just looking really good. Uh, what, it, what about it stands out to you? What, what makes you excited about this newest crop? Um, it's just, um, it's the way just the round fruitiness kind of comes across, you know? Uh-huh. Um, I mean, it just, you know, smelling the hops up there, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's funny cause, um, with hop selection. So we saw the, um, you know, new galaxy, uh, but at the same time, um, you know, that galaxy was actually picked in the spring, but they've got it pelletized and then sent up. And so now that they have it, um, they're like, okay, check it out. Um, so it's, you know, it's not, uh, it's not like the same hop selection, um, that we went through with this stuff, you know, just coming out of the field. So kind Got of it. a different experience. Basically they're just showing us, they're like, Hey, here's the galaxy for the year. Here's what you're going to get. What do you think? Versus yeah. like when you're going up, um, selecting, you know, the Northwest varieties, it's, Hey, here's samples right out of the field that we haven't even pelletized yet. What do you like? What do you want us to pelletize for you? So it's a little bit different, but, right. but it's really nice to be able to see that and to get that, that first look at the next galaxy coming up. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Nice. Um, so the uh, the single hop series is that something you're still playing around with, or is that has that been on pause since COVID, or are you still doing single hop stuff at the Propagator? We haven't been doing much at the Propagator. Um, I think I want to say the last one we did was with Barbe Rouge, hmm. and uh, that's a, a new French hop that's got a, some nice red berry character to it, some kind of strawberry raspberry thing going on, maybe some some currants. Um, that's a cool hop. We did one last fall, but, um, for the most part though, 
um, we've actually switched. So, you know, the single hop series, you know, was going strong here for a few years and we basically used most of the, you know, the cool new hops we wanted to use in that series already. Um, and so now we're like kind of happy to like kind of pick our favorites and go back to them and, and then, you know, ramp them up to put in the mix packs. Oh, um, cool. but, um, so yeah, so we kind of stopped doing that actually down here. Um, like I said, it's been about a year since we've brewed one now. Um, and what we do now with new hops actually is we have a series of uh, one barrel fermenters, just a little, uh, a little cellar essentially. That's just these tiny little tanks and we'll divert wort. So like, you know, we're taking, um, the base mine haze wort. And then if we want to try new hops up there, we're now doing single hop trials there and we can dry hop it with different hop varieties. Um, and that allows us a lot of flexibility. So you can knock out, you know, a bunch of different hops at once and then you'll keg them all off, taste them and get through it. Whereas here, you know, you're going through and you're brewing up a new batch for each one. So it's, you know, um, it's fun if you want to have the beer on tap and have it around for a while and have people drinking it. Um, and so we did like doing that, but um, just from a pure efficiency standpoint, from an R and D standpoint, it's, it's really advantageous to be able to do a bunch at a time. Um, so that's probably, that's where most of the, um, the single hop focus is right now. And I think that's just one of those things. Yeah. Maybe it just kind of coincided with COVID where, um, we kind of petered out because of that. And, um, and single hop beers are always, you know, unless it's a really good one, they, they don't sell quite as well as, as, you know, hop blend IPAs. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, not, not every hop's a winner, you know, like, I yeah. mean, Barbarouge is a good example. Barbarouge is great. I really enjoyed it, but nobody knows what Barbarouge is. It's sound it's French. What's up with that? You know? So, um, it wasn't as popular. Like if, you know, if you brew a Citra or a Mosaic or like a Nelson single hop, you know, everyone that's into hops knows those. So they're like, Ooh, yeah, I want to order that, you know? And then they, they look at some other hops and they just kind of go, eh. So, you know, for the most part, it's good to do that on a smaller scale, especially with newer varieties you're unsure of. Yeah. And, I, and when you do those like micro dry hop, you know, those micro hopped experiments, do those go on tap at the propagator or are those just like R&D? No, those don't know? go on tap. Okay. Yeah, that's just that just gets tasted with our internal sensory panel Got and uh, we'll get us, you know, get data from all that. Yeah. And then we don't actually sell them. Yeah. Makes sense. Cool. So is there a hop? That, I mean, I feel like for me, I've just been all over Strata the past couple, like one and a half to two years um, and a lot of breweries too. Like it's just, you're seeing Strata, Strata, Strata. Um, so I feel like that was kind of like a nice hype hop over the past year. Um, looking forward, is there anything that you think is like the next, the next big hop that at least in your mind that you think it deserves a little bit of attention? Ah, well, you know, I think Talus already mm-hmm. has gotten the attention of a lot of brewers, but um, maybe hasn't been utilized as well as it could have yet. Um, you know, it's it's not necessarily a single hop type beer uh, or single hop type hop for single hop beers. It's, um, you know, we did do a single hop here actually a couple years ago with it. Um, we, we had done a sponsorship of the variety back when... Um, before it was uh, Talus, when it was still an experimental variety. So we got some hops from that um, year before last. I think last year was the first year they started naming a Talus. Um, and, um, you know, I think the single hop beer we brewed that was extremely floral, had extremely unique characters of this just kind of like rose petal and geranial and, you know, some grapefruit and a lot of really interesting kind of grapefruit citrus character too. Um, so that's a really cool hop. And 
I think, you know, brewers are, are latching on more to it. It's really good in hazy IPAs. I think it's it's really good hot side, really good in the whirlpool. Uh, it's really high geraniol content and geraniol, um, you know, transforms into some more citrusy compounds. It's more floral, but then some of it um, changes into citrusy compounds like citronellol. So um, that's a really cool hop because of that and the, the unique characters it has. Um, you know, it's not going to take over from, you know, strata or citra mosaic or, you know, something like that. Um and I think that's why Strata has become the new hot hop because it's the one that you can like feature, you can single hop and it's great and people love it. Um, but there's, there's a lot of room for these other hops that aren't necessarily stars on their own, but work really well in blends with other hops and really bring something to the table that, um, that's unique and, and powerful. Um, so that's a really good one in that realm. I mean, you know, we're big fans of cashmere now and I'd, I'd like to see more, ca- you know, I mean, I'd like to see cashmere be the next, you know, hop that rises up to the level of like a citra mosaic or strata at this point. Uh, I think it's a beautiful hop. Um, you know, and we love what's coming out of the hop breeding programs like hop breeding company. Um, but, you know, I love to see cashmere coming out of the USDA public breeding program too. you know, see a little love there from, you know, we all support that with our tax dollars, that breeding program. So it's good to see a great hop coming out of it, you know, and something yeah. that, um, that all the, all the growers everywhere can grow. Um, I think there, there's a new variety. Um, I forget the number exactly of it, but there's one that's going to be released soon out of the USDA program as well. That's getting a lot of good energy behind it. That's got a lot of good tropical character. Um, so I can't wait to see that on a, on a larger scale. Um, and, um, yeah, but I'd say, yeah, Talos for the most part, um, you know, that, that's, that's the one that we've been really fond of, um, that, you know, kind of makes its way into some new stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, people are already on the New Zealand stuff, you know, I don't need to tell people about, about New Zealand varieties, right. you know, um, <laughs> some of the, you know, I mean, this is the first year I think the the growers in New Zealand really ramped up their production of Rwaka. And Rwaka is a hard to grow hop. It doesn't yield very well. And so it was really hard to get for years and it's just started to increase in availability. And I think we got some really good stuff this year that I've been really happy with too. Um, so that, that's a really nice one. Um, you know, and this, this might sound weird, but um, I, I love Willamette. And, you know, it's one of the classic American varieties. Yeah. It's it's kind of dying out, you know, but I think there's a few growers that aren't going to let it go. It's a really beautiful hop for loggers. Um, it's something that, you know, I think we can hang our, our hats on and say it's like, a, you know, almost this like beautiful noble-like quality, but also with a little tinge of this American-ness that's like slightly citrusy at the same time. Um, and, you know, the, the growers that are, are sticking by it are doing a great job. So um, that's one that I hope doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, agreed. Uh, yeah, Ennegrin did a single hop Pilsner with uh, Willamette, and it was amazing. I mean, that was last year, and I can't. I'm still thinking about it. Yeah, so good, cool, man. Well, looking towards the future, I mean, I want to want to wrap this up. Like, what are you? What What's next for for Firestone Propagator? What's next for you? What do you got going on? Um, kind of closing out 2021. Well, yeah, we've got. Um it's a couple fun new can releases coming up here. So, you know, like I said, Wookie Jack's coming back. We just brewed the first batch yes. of that and I'm very excited for Wookie. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those ones where it's like, I just, I never want to change. I just, I just need people to keep appreciating black IPAs like that forever. And, um, you know, and I, I think it will, it's, it's one of those beers where it's got, it's got enough fans that it, I, I don't think it's going to go anywhere now that we've kind of found the perfect, forum for it brewing it here at the propagator which is really yeah. cool that we were able to do because um 
because yeah, there's, it's just one of those beers that when we brought it back earlier in the year, you know, it, uh, so many people were excited about it. You know, I mean, some of my own family members just lost it. They were so happy about it coming back. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of Wookie Jack fans out there we know, and maybe, maybe it'll get ramped up on a larger scale again at some point. But for now, I think we've hit the stride where, you know, I guess you got to be in California, but if you're, you know, you're in California, you can order yourself a four pack or stop by one of the brewery locations and pick it up when that comes out. And so that'll be out next month. Um, I think we are releasing that. Um, it'll be around the 20th. Um, but that'll, you know, that'll all get notified on social media when that comes out. Yeah. We'll um, let everybody know that we're yeah. big fans of Wookie Jack. Yeah. So, uh, jazz for that. Um, also, um, we're going to be doing interesting for our last can release of the year. We're doing this kind of like milk and cookies themed stout where, um, we're brewing a big milk stout with a bunch of oats. And then, um, we're going to be adding, um, some brown sugar and some, uh, cocoa nibs and some vanilla beans to it. And just, uh, kind of go for your, just, you know, I just want to drink a oatmeal chocolate chip cookie type thing. Um, and so have a little fun with that, you know, we're not, we don't play big in the pastry stout game, but you know, we like to dip our toes every once in a while on something that sounds like a delicious combination. So, yeah, uh, so we just good. did a stout, you know, um, the cinnamon dolce stout with vanilla and cinnamon. And, um, you know, I think we're on a vanilla kick right now. So, um, I thought, you know, we've, we've done a lot of cocoa in other stouts in the past and, you know, we love working with, uh, cocoa nibs. And so we just thought we'd combine that with some vanilla and, and put it in a new stout. So, um, that'll be coming out in December. Um, and that'll wrap it up for the year. And then we've got a really exciting uh, collaboration that will be coming out at the beginning of next year. But I'm not going to say exactly what that is. But um, but it's a it's a uh, it's a collab that we've done before in the past with one of our our favorite breweries. And so um, and so I'm really excited to be doing that one again. Um, but yeah, other than that, just a you know couple new ideas here and there. We'll see probably a, a couple more big IPAs, things like that. Um, you know, we're just having fun with it. We've got a triple hazy IPA coming out uh, very soon out of here. That's just going to be a draft only release. So, um, so yeah, you know, is that the, we never, the we never keep playing with the IPAs. Is yeah, that the practice run for Bistro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll see. We're doing, hey, you know, it's triple hazy. We'll probably uh, we'll do a triple West Coast soon too. So we got to start Sweet. working out recipes. Get get competition ready. We got to get in shape. Yeah, I hear you. Cool. That's a that's a fun competition and uh, yeah, sounds like a lot of really cool stuff coming up for you guys. So. Um, yeah, if, uh, anyone listening, hit up the propagator because I think it's never been more exciting. Um, and also the beer that we drink today, psychedelic arcade West coast double IPA. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, it's out. So, uh, go seek it out, hit the website, hit the propagator and do what you need to do to grab it. Cause it's super, super good. And, uh, Sam, thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate it. Uh, you're a busy guy and you got a lot going on. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was fun hearing about, uh, hearing about your journey a little bit. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, you know, awesome chance to get on and chat with you and, um, glad you like the beer and appreciate it and hope you come by again sometime soon. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thanks, Gary. Cheers. And that does it for this episode of Beer Breakdown. Thank you so much to Sam for joining me on the podcast and filling us all in on 
all the really cool stuff that Firestone Walker is doing over at the Propagator location in Venice. Uh, once again, get your hands on Psychedelic Arcade, this delicious West Coast style double IPA, if you can. And if not, look out for all the Propagator releases. They're putting out some really, really special stuff. And I think my greatest advice to you is head down to Venice sometime and take a seat at the brew pub. Uh, check out the outdoor beer garden that they have set up. Order some beers, order some food, and just enjoy yourself because it doesn't get much better than that. Uh, yeah, I love Firestone Walker. Can't say enough good things about them. And I'm so glad they're continuing to invest in R&D and innovation and pushing the envelope and finding new ways to bring us delicious beer and keep us all excited about craft beer because um, there's not many breweries that do it as well as they do. Follow Sam at Into the Brew on Twitter, on Instagram. Follow Firestone Walker if you don't already. They have an Instagram for their propagator location um, that you're going to want to follow as well. And subscribe to our newsletter. That's really where all of our coolest stuff comes out. We got a bunch of new stuff uh, being announced over the next couple months. A new membership is coming that's going to bring you guys a bunch of really cool things that we're really excited about. So head over to hopdelay.com slash subscribe, join our email newsletter, and we'll have some awesome stuff over to you soon. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you in a couple weeks. Cheers. Cheers.